Good to see everybody today. We continue, good morning, to go through our series called Enough, and we're looking at the I Am statements of Jesus from the book of John. And when Jesus is rolling these out, I Am, these different things, He's saying, hey, pay attention because these are for you. And this is good stuff for you. We're proclaiming Him, but it's good for us. I think we all know that God wants to be number one in our life. And that's not a doubt. And we might have some disagreement about that and wrestle some things back. But this is saying, well, not only does he want to be number one, it's good if he is. Listen to this stuff. Look, look at what he's saying. I'm bread, I'm light. Today he's going to say he's the shepherd. It's a series about Jesus, but it's a series about, I mean, listen, what he says he's going to do for you, what he has done for you. So good to, to take in. Number three today is this. He says that he is the good shepherd. 10-11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So the first thing I want to do with this one is to tackle the language because you and I have gone all week and we've never once said shepherd or sheep. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's the only people that call me shepherd are people that have been in church for a really long time. And even when they do, it makes me uncomfortable. There's like a disconnect there. I mean, maybe use shepherd. Did you use shepherd this week? I don't know. The same disconnect that would happen if I started calling you sheep all day. Like, I don't want to not use it all week and then come here in church and throw it around like it's normal because it's not normal. So here's what we're talking about. Now, can we change the words? You can never change the word. You can't ever, ever, ever change the word. But here's the essence of it. That Jesus is God personified. Jesus was, is, and will be God personified for us to see. Hebrews chapter 1. He is the exact representation of the being of God. When God decided that he wanted to reveal who he was so we could actually take it in and know him. And we can't know him all, but we can know him just a little bit. He sent his son to reveal that sort of thing. He was, is, and will be the exact representation of God for us to see. All the power, all the authority. He is said now to be in heaven, and he's ruling over everything. So everything has been made subject to him. And he from there has the ability and the desire to provide and to protect all that are his possession on the planet. Potentially that is us. As we get through it, that's actually a good place to be. We're going to call it shepherd and sheep. But here's what it is. God personified with the ability and desire to provide and protect those who are potentially his shepherd and sheep. Now, even though the language is clumsy, hopefully by the time we're done today, you'll figure out like, hey, I think I want to be a part of this. Be a good outcome for today. So here we go. Shepherd and sheep. Here's the background of the statement made in John 10. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's talking to church leaders of the day whom he is not happy with and who are not happy with him. And the issue that they're in a disagreement over has to do with something that Jesus did in chapter 9. So when you read the word, just make sure you read it all through. Just let it run right down the page because 9 is often connected to 10 and don't just pick out parts individually. So here's what happened in 9. 
Jesus heals a guy who has been born blind. And he did it by spitting on the ground, making some mud, rubbing it on his eyes. And then he was supposed to go and wash. And then he could see, which is a big deal. But the problem with it is that he did all that on the Sabbath. And you can't work. If you were here last week, you know, like you can't spit on Sunday. Thou shalt not spit because the spit could move the dirt. And moving the dirt is like a furrow. And that's work like in a field. And so thou, right? We went over this. You can't spit in, in that particular area, in that realm on Sunday. You can't heal. You're a law. If you do, you're a lawbreaker. So the accusation, and they, found, they find out he did it because someone brought this guy who was blind from birth to them, and they, they interview him. And they find out that this is what he did. So they're fighting. In the interview, they ask this guy, well, who, who did this for you? And he says, it was Jesus. He's the one that healed me. And the phrase that's used over and over and over to them for these guys are, and they would not believe. They refused to believe. So they went and got this guy's parents, and they said, all right, is this really your kid? Because they didn't believe. And is this really your kid? And was he really blind? Because maybe this whole thing's a trick. And they're like, yeah, that's our kid. And yeah, he was blind. And now he could see. Then they asked them, how did it happen? And even though they know what happened, they won't confess it. They won't say that Jesus did it because they're afraid that those men will kick them out of the church and they don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. So they say, he's a big boy, ask him. So they ask him again, who did this? He's like, why are we going through this again? Do you want to be his disciples too? Which is a little funny, a little bit, if you understand the context, because they really hated him and wanted to kill him. And so they put him out They cast him out, and when Jesus finds him, as soon as he's put out from this interview, Jesus goes and finds him, and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, well, who's the Son of Man that I might believe? It's me. I'm standing right in front of you. The one that healed you, I am he. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now, on that interaction, there's a few of those leaders of the church that are watching it, and they ask Jesus an interesting question. And the question they ask is, do you think we're blind? He said, no, I don't think you're blind. I think you're guilty. And right after he says they're guilty, he tells them this story about sheep and shepherds and all the such. Now, when he tells the story, this is what he wants. He wants you to listen to the story and figure out where you fit in it. He certainly wants, he tells this story and he wants them, the teachers specifically, to know this is where you are in the story. But everyone who listens to it As you do, try to figure out who you are and all these parts and pieces and where you fit. So right after he tells them you're guilty, he says this, one through six. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand. So if you are confused by sheepfold, sheep, gatekeeper, and such, don't be alarmed. They're confused too. So he says it this way, 7 through 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So here's the picture that he gives us to work with. Now, it would have been easy for them because they were probably looking at it right over the hill. But the picture looks something like this. He just describes some sheep in a pen. The pen has a single gate. It has one shepherd. And there are some thieves and robbers. Now, we don't have thieves and robbers here because I couldn't paste them in. But that's the idea. All right. So what are the pieces and what's he talking about? The sheep are... Potentially the church, those who would be, those who are or would become Christian. That's the sheepfold. The only way you get into the fold is if you have to walk through the single door. And who is the single door? The single door is Jesus. He says, I am the door of the sheep, which is, an, which is a point that needs to be made right off the bat. Before Jesus ever says he's the shepherd, he says he's the door. So you can never... He will never be your shepherd if he has not first been your door. What's, what's the most easily to recall? Of all the scripture of, of Jesus being a shepherd, there is, for the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, for the Lord is my shepherd. We could all say that. We could all repeat it. But that's not for you. He is not unless he has first been your door. So if you don't know him that way as an entrance into something, then you don't get any benefit of him being over you. I'm the door first, and then I'm shepherd. So how do you walk through the door? You believe. You come face to face with the truths, maybe just in a setting like this. You come face to face with the truths of Jesus, of the stories of Jesus, of the claims of Jesus, that he is the son of God, come from heaven down here to save us by taking away our sin, taking away the sin of the world. Because without that, we can't, there isn't anything we can do to get rid of it. And the way he takes it away is he takes it upon himself. He takes the sin of the world upon himself, and he can't just take it away and run away, like sweep it under the rug. The penalty for that sin is what? So he has to die in order to get rid of it. So I'll take the sin and go to the cross. I die for it. And that is a righteous and holy God punishing sin, but he punishes him and not us. And with sin out of the way now, now you could be free. If you don't have that, then the sin of the world and your sin remains upon you. And if the sin of the world and your sin remains upon you, then so does the wrath of God because who's ever holding the sin gets whacked. And you hear that and you say, I believe. I believe that's my reality. I believe that I'm stuck in my own sin and in a world full of sin. And I don't want the wrath of God coming for me. So I believe in you, and I want you to do that for me. Save me. That is walking through the door. The latest sheep in our story to walk through the door is who? It's the man born blind. Go back to his conversation. Right after he's released from the interview, he says what? This is 9, 35 through 38. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking with you now. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So the man born blind who believes, he's a sheep. The question I would say to you, maybe the biggest question of the day is, Are you? 
It was so important to actually put it in your bulletin. Are you a sheep? Something that you have to, are you? Have you, has he been your door into something new? Now, the teachers of the law and those that he's fighting with, the one thing that marks them throughout the whole story is they refuse to believe. So they're not sheep. They're not, they're actually the thieves and the robbers. If you don't go through the door and there's only one door, then you're jumping in another way. And he said, those who have come before me are jumping in another way and they're trying to steal the sheep. So they're the thieves and the robbers. That's what he wants to get them to see. They're trying to steal them. They actually think, here's the confusing part. They actually think they're the door. They think that they decide who's into the church and who's out. And they think Jesus is the one jumping over another way, trying to steal their sheep. Like the man born blind is someone that he stole out. He's like, no, I'm the door. You're the thief. You're jumping in another way. So how would they steal? Like, how are they stealing away those that would be his? It was described this way by one commentator that I really like. His name's Matthew Henry. Here's how they're thieves. They endeavored to prevent Jesus from gaining any room in the hearts and the minds of the people. They were pressing a message to the people that left no room for Christ and were thereby stealing hearts away that they had no, they had no title to. To be a rival of Christ is to be a robber of the church. So who would be an example of some sheep they stole away? It would be the parents of the guy born blind because they are pressed with a message that left no room for Christ. Do these leaders believe in any way that Christ is the door? Not at all. So they push him totally out of the picture and they're so afraid to confess it because they know those guys are going to kick him out of church and so they won't confess. They've left no room for Christ and these guys have left no room for Christ in their heart and so he's, he stole them away. And he had no, they had no right to. Those hearts were, they belonged to somebody else. And then the last part he said, and as far as the shepherd goes, like, I'm the shepherd. So that's the lay of the land. Where do you fit? Are you a rival of Christ? No one's going to readily sign up and say, yep, definitely, I'm a rival, but but listen to it this way. Do you press, do you work for or towards something in someone's life that reduces Christ? Maybe you're here today and you're dating someone who wants to follow Jesus and you came with them, but you don't want them to follow Jesus because when they do, it leaves less room for you. Like when they follow him, you don't get what you want. And so, yeah, you're here, you're not happy about it, but during the week, you actually press for less of him in their life. Someone at nine o'clock elbows somebody. That's you. That's a rival. Are you working for less of Christ in someone? Have you been stole away? You've placed what other people say about you up here and what God has said down here. And there's no way you're going to confess him because that might make you look stupid in front of your friends. No one's going to. So here's what you You put your friends in what they say up here. And you're not about to say this. Like, I'm a, I, I'm a sheep. <laughs> Jesus is my shepherd. There's no way you would say it because what? They're going to laugh you out of the classroom. So you won't do it. But here's the thing. Whatever is higher in your life, that's what you worship. That is. 
That's what you've given yourself to. And this is the worst thing in the world. Don't give yourself to the opinions of people. These will change every day. This is the, what other people think at the end of the day is nothing. But it's everything to you now, more so than this. I mean, that's not, I mean, that's not, in some way, that's outside the fold. Or maybe, maybe you're a sheep. Maybe, have you believed? I found this phrase as I went through, and it's become my, it's my favorite phrase of the day so far. Like often when I go through and I find a phrase that I really like, I'll say it's my favorite, and I might do that three more times. But so far, this is my favorite. If you've believed, you've submitted to the grace and the government of God. Who's welcome through the door? All comers. All that the Father gives me, I will never turn away. Grace. And nobody deserved it. It was open for us when we weren't even looking for it, so it's undeserved favor. Grace to come in. But there's something about it that clicks in our mind, like, if God's just saying he's going to take me, if he'll just take me, how, what you're saying is, I don't have to change to be his? Nope. I don't have to clean up my act out here in order to be his? Nope. He just takes you. Great. And then somehow we transfer that, like how we are out there, like, he's okay if I just continue to be what I was out here. No, he isn't. He's not. Because if you really get grace, like if you really understand that you didn't deserve anything, that he took your sin to the cross for you and you weren't even looking and he did it and you know you're guilty. And he did it for you, and that really hits you finally. You can sit in church for years, and it'll never hit you. But when you finally, when it finally hits you, if you get grace, you'll want to do what he says. Do you know what, what God says, let's say his government over the top of you? Do you know what that does without grace? Nothing. It just drives people away. All the rules are all, all the commands of God, which are ultimately for you, without grace first, all, they actually just drive you away. But to submit to this, when you really get it, you'll actually want to do what he says. And then, right in there, that's the best spot to be. When you get that you didn't deserve it, and the life you have today, like you should be crumpled up in a corner somewhere, having zero impact on anyone because of everything that you've done, and yet you're not there, you're here. And everything you have in front of you is an absolute gift. When you get that, you want to do what he says. And in between those two, that is the best place to be. Between the grace and the government of God. Because between those two, that's when he starts to turn you into something new. That's what he did for me. I should be crumpled up in a corner, apart from people, having zero impact on anyone ever. And that's what I've earned and for whatever reason, he said, that's just not the way it's going to be. That is grace. And when that hits your heart, you're like, what do you want me to do? That's a good spot. That person gets to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Are you that person? So, what does that person get? Tell them what they've won, right? And we're getting, that's the, that's the next part. So what are the, what do you get right there? What are the benefits that this shepherd then says he gives? Number one is salvation. He says, those who come through, 
If you come through by me, you will be saved. So it doesn't give any commentary. So saved, saved from what? That's how my mind works. So it says I'm saved, saved from what? As I thought about it, the first thing I think has to be is saved from yourself. I grew up in all of this. As I grew up around this, I watched my parents follow after God. I watched my grandparents follow after God. Like I knew that my parents and grandparents and really about everybody I knew, that they were trying to live their life underneath God's requirements, what God wanted them to do. Their lives were, were governed by God. And I, I was aware of that. Now, I heard about this a lot. I didn't necessarily hear a lot about the grace, and I'm not sure they did either, but I knew what was up. And I looked at all that for lots of years, and then my response to all of that was, when can I leave? I'd like to go now, because you guys can do all this, and I'm going to go. You guys be sheep with a shepherd. I'm going to go over here and have some fun. I don't want anything to do with it. But here's the thing you have to know about this shepherd, and we can jump to a different text. If he has 99 sheep up here safe on the hill that he knows are his, and he has one over here that he knows is his as well, he's willing to leave those to go get this one. He says this, like in our text, it says, I know them by name when he has called them by name. Listen, you can look at all this and go, this is ridiculous. You keep saying shepherd and sheep. I just want to go eat. When is this over? And care nothing for it. And you can care nothing for it for year after year after year. It's the craziest thing. But if he knows that you are his, he's coming for you. And when he does, you can't stop it. You can't. I wanted nothing to do with this. And it, one day, one day, I went to a gathering of sheep under these, you know, earthly shepherds. It was awful. I just went to make my dad happy. And I took every goat that I knew with me. <laughs> we were not the only goats in the room, but we were definitely goats. And this guy gets up babbling on about sheep and shepherds. And all I know is, bang, just, I had to do it. I started to cry. They're like, are you crying? I'm like, I am crying. It could happen. Like, you're in the middle of your crew, and all of a sudden, a guy like me gets up and starts talking about sheep, and you're like, I need this. And you're nuts. And I was but I went. If he knows that you are his, he's coming for you, and I don't care how ridiculous you think all this is, you won't stop it. He'll have you. He will save you from yourself, and you will, you'll kicking and screaming. He's dragging you towards everything that's good, and <laughs> kicking and screaming the whole way. It's the craziest thing. But that's who he is. So he'll save you from yourself. He'll save you from a life of sin. Listen, if you mess around with sin, it will wreck your life. Sin always wrecks. It always wrecks. I don't care. If, you, if it's not at the moment and you're having the time of your life, you give it time. Because if you mess around with sin long enough and it sits in your life, it will wreck everything that you have. And it will do to your life what you kind of knew it would, but it'll be a reality. It'll be the worst thing ever. So get rid of it. And that's what the grace, the grace and the government of God is, is trying to save you from that. There's a very real penalty for sin in your life now. 
if Jesus lights something up for you, so he'll, he'll light it up. Let's take, he'll light it up on a particular, let's say sex. And he'll say, all right, this is the truth concerning sex because it is a gift and it came from me. Here's the deal. Here's how you handle it. It is, between, it is supposed to be between one man and one woman in the marriage relationship. That is the go zone. You can do, go have a blast. And that's light. Anything else outside of that is dark. And you decide I'm going to stay in the dark on this one. You stay in the dark on that one, and you just stay in the dark, and you leave it around, and you, I promise you, it's going to wreck it. It will wreck sin. Always wrecks. Always wrecks. Always wrecks. Why did he say that? Why did he lay it out there for you? Who's he for? He's for you. Went to see my daughter yesterday at Purdue, and it was really good. I hadn't seen her in a long time, and took the family with us, and took our boys. And like when they go see M, they're like, "Oh, hey, M, good to see you." And then they're bored, so it's done. And so we knew that, and we wanted our conversation to be longer. So they brought. Um, Skateboards and ripsticks. You guys know what a ripstick is? Two tiny wheels. They're moving. And they're like, where, where can we ride? What can we do? And so we were going to meet with her, and I took them across the street, and I took them to the sixth floor of a parking garage. I'm like, you're going to ride up there. I'm like, all right. We go up the elevator. We, walk, we go through the door, and it was like their mind just went. <laughs> there was no cars. It just was all concrete and had these slopes and ramps and they're like here like here this is crazy we didn't even know these things did they build this for this i'm like no (laughs) but isn't it awesome stay on the sixth floor because five four and three have cars on them and if you ripstick in traffic someone will drive over you Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I go downstairs, and I realize I'm walking out. that The ticket that you pay, I left it in the car. The ticket you pay for, it's at, the, it's at the person door, not the car door. So you have to pay there. So I went back up to get the ticket so I could just be ready to go when we leave. And as I go back up, on the fourth floor, what do I see? <laughs> My son, Jack. And right behind him, his cousin Drew. (laughs) About 47 miles an hour on the fourth floor. Was I bad at late? Was I wrong? Am I a bad dad to take him to the no, I'm a, I'm a good, but why did, I say, why did I say nothing below that? Because you might die. And who, is that, who am I thinking of when I say don't? Me? Them. Whatever he says, it's for them. And you ripstick on, five, on floors five, four, and three long enough, you will end up under a car. And who knew that? I did. 
when he says, stay on the sixth floor and have a blast, he's thinking of you and that government is for you because he knows what's best. It's the best place to be. Stay there. And he's trying to, his grace and his government, save you from, they try to set a boundary for you so that you don't mess around with sin because sin ultimately will wreck you. Just to finish the story and then we'll go on. They had a guy down on the third floor holding the elevator open. And they would go all the way down to the third floor and right into the elevator. And if you know anything about a ripstick, you can actually keep going in the elevator. And the elevator would go up. And then out they would go again. And never once have their feet hit the ground. And do you know how I knew they would do it? That's exactly what I would have done. with just less gear. (laughs) Who's it for? What's he trying to save you from? A life of sin. Because he knows that sin will wreck. And he wants to save you from, and we'll move on, the penalty of sin, certainly in this life, like we talked about, but the penalty of sin eternally. I mean, there is a penalty for sin. It doesn't go unnoticed. God hates sin. They say that the cross is the estimation of how much God hates sin. Never come close to the idea that God's just going to make it okay. He hates it, and it will be punished. And he wants to save you from all that. Those who come through the door have had the sin removed. You're saved from that punishment. They're saved from this day. This day is coming. It's recorded in Matthew 25. It's a day that we'll all be there together. I'll be there. You'll be there. It's a day where it says that the shepherd gathers all the nations. And on that day, he's going to separate people to the right and to the left. These are sheep over here, and then these are goats. And on that day, you want to be on the right. You, you can think I'm crazy. All this language, and it makes no sense to your life. You just want to go, but I'm telling you, that day is coming and we'll all be there. If you look over at me on that day, I will say, I told you about this day. Because we're we're all going to be there. And on that day, you got to be on the right because on the left, this is what he says, when the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him and he will sit on the throne, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his rights and the goats on the left. And here it comes, this is 41. Goats, you're done. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And I know that language, that hell language, it's troubling, devil and his angels and hell and fire, and it's real. It has to be real because God said it was real. It has to be real because God said it and God doesn't lie. I have watched people walk away from faith on this one issue because they can't get over that a loving God would send people to hell. And this 
soon as you compromise on even one little piece of this, like, well, that's probably not what he means, and you walk away, I've just watched everything else fall away. Because if you're willing to say, he didn't really mean that with this, then you're willing to say, he didn't really mean that with all the rest of it, and it takes no time at all. You compromise on one thing, and you're out of the whole thing altogether. Because you can't pick and choose what you like. If you like John 3.16, and you need that to be true, then it is. But at the same time, so does Matthew 25.41. You can't pick. You can't pick. It's all there. And if one is, so is the other. And that day is coming. And he said, I'll save you from all of that. Among other things. Yourself and sin and penalty and all that. Next, he says, I'll save you. And those who come in by me, I'll also give you pasture. All right? So you're like, great, we get grass. It's awesome. And I don't know, right? We're st- I want to say we're stuck in this metaphor, but we're working through this metaphor, and that's what it is. So it's, it has to do with, you know, coming in and out and getting pasture. So lots of commentary about what that means. I'll use that as well as probably the most well-known piece of Scripture concerning this sheep-shepherd thing, and that's the 23rd Psalm, because... The 23rd Psalm actually promises, that is Jesus' shepherd over sheep, and it actually promises the very same things that 10 does, Jesus over sheep with all these things. And it's the same. This language, though, expands it a little bit. So we get pasture. This is the way it says, verse 1 and 2 and 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So what do we get? What is the green pasture? It has to be good. It has to be good in this life because it doesn't say brown pasture. It's got to be green. It's got to be good. Something there that I need, something there that I want. And one guy said, it means I'm going to have everything I need, if not everything I want. And if I don't, it will be because it ultimately was not good for me or, I just, or it just hasn't been time for me to have it yet. It is Good stuff. He's going to provide. He's going to make sure you have everything that you need. And maybe even more that, maybe even more than that, like what you want. It's got to be good. My mind instantly goes to, okay, if he's going to make me lay down in green pastures, I can define those in my mind. How many can define green pasture? Like, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, and that's what it is for me. And it, it has to be some of those things, but it can't be all stuff. He can't be promised, I'm going to give you lots of stuff, and it's going to be very comfortable, and that's the way life is going to be, and then you're just going to slide in, it's going to be an easy death, and then off into glory. It's, it can't be just the stuff, because Jesus is not a stuff guy. He said way too much about stuff in a negative way for him to be promising stuff here. Think about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to him, there's this interaction, he has all kinds of stuff, and Jesus actually looked at it and said, like, there's one thing you lack. You need to get rid of this stuff because it's actually in the way. I mean, he knew a life full of ease and comfort and things. That wasn't necessarily a fullness of life. Sometimes those things get in the way. Think about the guy that has the barns. He has two big barns and they're full, but then he has too much stuff. So he tears those down and build bigger barns. And then he said, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. And he said, you're a fool because life is the, it's not about the, the excess of things. So it can't be stuff. It's got to be good. It might be closer to this. The person in green pastures 
is the person who may not have a lot, but believes all that he has was given to him by the goodness of God. So take your, take your mind off of the end game and then keep your mind more on the shepherd. Sorry, but more on God who gave it. There's a proverb that says, you can have a table with a fatted ox on it, which maybe doesn't sound too good that I say it, but it's got a lot of stuff on it. But if all around the table there's hatred, you don't even want that table. And you can have a table with tiny, just a little bit of herbs. But if around that table is love, that's the table you want to be at. So it's not the, it's not what's on it. It's not what you have. It's, it's maybe the way that you look at it. An example that came to mind was this in terms of green pasture. My dad often goes to Liberia, Africa, and there's a connection over there, this guy named Nerwa Tarlo, and he's a church planter there, and they're similar in, in some regard, and so they're riding together towards some destination in a car, and on the road is, uh, there's been some sort of animal that has been hit and has died, and Nerwa stops and picks it up because I mean, that's gonna be supper. And to, on that day, I mean, he's getting out saying, as he walks back to the trunk, the Lord has caused me to lie down in green pastures. He's led me beside still waters. He's taking care of me. Does that seem like green pasture to anybody? But it is to him. So it can't be stuffed because that guy would say who has next to nothing compared to us, he would say the Lord has maybe lie down in green pastures because he believes that everything he has in some way has come from the hand of God. He's just grateful. I mean, he's the guy sitting around that table with a tiny little, it's not herbs now, it's whatever that was, but he's exceedingly glad, glad. And, and we can be around a table with everything, just misery. It's the ability somehow to look and say, like, everything I do have has been given by him, and he's caused me to lie down in green pastures and lead me beside still waters, and he's so good to me. I think it has to be a focus more on him and what he's done, not an amount of something. So I promise you it's there if you can look at it. What can you look at around your life and say, this is good and this is good? What can you look at around your life and say, Man, he's caused me to lie down in green pastures. Look what he's done for me here. I promise you it's there. Think about it. What is it? It's green somewhere. Is it all green? No. No. But everything you have that is good has come from him. And the last one, and we could just go on these um, still waters. I think still, still waters is probably spiritual as well. Like I can be working in a big company making big money and not be peaceful. But if you go where you know that he's leading, it can be a place of peace even though there's chaos all around you. It's like still waters in here. Like you just trust that he's that good and you do what he says. And when you go do what he says, it could be falling apart. It, it might cost you a lot. But if you're there, it's like it's still water in your soul. I mean, it's too spiritual. I don't know. Maybe you're rolling your eyes. I think it's real. I'll just use my dad again. 
He leaves here and he goes to Africa. Is there anything comfortable about that? But you know what's calm? His restless soul. Like it's the best place for him. It doesn't matter what he has or doesn't have. It doesn't matter how, if he gets sick or whatever. That, it's just the place to be because when you go where your shepherd led you, you know, that's still water. I think it's very true. Certainly true for me. Something about standing up here is still water for me. It's still water. Does it cost me to be here? Yes. Is it easy? No. But it's not about, like, it's really, it's about, I know, sorry for the language, looking at the shepherd. I know, it's like knowing that you are where he has led you to be. It's not like, oh, look, the water. It's good stuff. All right, three. It says abundant life. I'm going to give him life and life abundantly. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who's the thief that he's speaking of? We always make it the devil. It's not the devil. Who's the thief? It's the leaders of the, it's the, leaders of the church of the day. And how are they stealing? How are they killing the people? by piling upon them heavy loads, all this rules, and God says this, and God says that, and you got to do this, and we're adding this, and they just pile it all up, and they can't do it. Like, they're just crushed. They can't do all the stuff, and God is not an angry taskmaster from heaven Say, do all this, and if you can possibly do it and not screw it up, then I might love you. So, good luck. God is the one that said, here's the sixth floor, <laughs> Go crazy. Look what I've done. Here, enjoy it. I mean, that's who God is. He's not this. It's like you guys are, you're misrepresenting. You're crushing them down. I'm saying I came to give them life and life to the full. Life on the sixth floor of the parking garage with no cars. That's what I came to give. And we've talked about that. I mean, that's the best place to do, in between the grace and the government. That's, that's the good place to be. But this one also means that I came to give them life abundant, life and life abundant, which means life here and then life after death life. More life than just this life. Because it's possible for you to be a sheep and you walk in the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe some of you right now are. The doctor has said you are walking in the valley and the shadow of death is over your life and it's probably not going to go well. And you walk in today and you go, really? Green pastures? No way. He also says life after life. And that's for you. Listen, we're all going to walk down that valley. The shadow of death is going to be over all of us. You're just there now. So if you're there now, here's the encouragement. There's going to be life after this. Yea, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I shall, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. Your life is protected by, Psalm 110 actually says, right, the rod of 
God's staff is the gospel. Your life is protected by the gospel. Is he going to swoop in and cure it? No. Are you going to die? Maybe. What's the encouragement? Your life is guarded by the gospel. And just like I had life after death, you will too. Just like I had life after my death, so shall my sheep. And so your encouragement in that spot is, this isn't it. Your encouragement, if you're walking beside somebody and their life is under the shadow of death and you know you're going to lose them, is, well, this isn't it. And he's going to give you more life there. And then if I'm a sheep, see you soon. That's the encouragement. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're going to go dwell there. You can be a sheep and be in the valley and it not be good, but there's still encouragement. And all that underwritten by this shepherd. I looked at all this stuff as I kicked it around. I came up with a, a six-word summary to all of this after I'd spent a bunch of time in it and read about it and been through it. My, my last thought was this, these six words. It's good to be a sheep. I think it's good to be a sheep. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this shepherd sheep stuff, but thank you for what it means and what we get. And I pray that to a person in here, what they've heard today struck them, and if they're not part of the fold, that they would change that today. You would change that today. And I ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said,